0: Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter Church. It's so good to be together. Uh, listen, a welcome especially if this is your first time or first couple of times. It's a perfect time to start making church a regular part of your life today. We're kicking off a brand new series here at Encounter called Wild, as you may have guessed. And it's a four-part series and we're going to take a look at the, at the life of Elisha in the Old Testament and see what God has for us in store there. As we jump into this, though, I want to kind of tilt my hand a little bit and share uh, my hope for you and my aim for for what I hope God will accomplish over the next four weeks is that oftentimes oftentimes, life and faith and following after Jesus doesn't really seem wild. In fact, the words that we might use to describe it is monotonous, (laughs) routine possibly wrote. I hope it's not true for you, but sometimes if if we're totally honest with ourselves, the words that we can use to describe what it's like to follow after Jesus is boring. And that's not and that's not the the way that it's supposed to be. It's not God's highest and best for your life. But it's just sort of there. It's a byproduct. It's it's with us all the time. And so what this series is about is about taking a look at some of these stories in the in the Bible, the story of God, and reading ourselves into it, what we're doing is, is is taking our lives and putting it up against the lives of the stories that God tells us about in His Word, and we see we see these wild stories, right? We see stories of God breaking in into a Abraham's life and saying, "Go," and Abraham saying. Well, You know, where do you want me to go? And God's saying, well, you know, put your shoes on, get moving. I'll tell you when to stop when we get there. Just start moving, go to a land I'm going to show you later. And we look at the story like that and we're going, that's wild. You know, that's out of this world. That's anything but routine, anything but rote, anything but boring. We see God breaking into the life of Moses after shepherding for 40 years in Midian and God's saying, You are going to be the one to take my people out of slavery, out of Egypt into the wilderness for an undetermined amount of time, undetermined for, for you. You're going to wander around there for a little while before going into the, into the promised land. Moses, you're my guy. Put your shoes on. Let's get, let's get moving. We see Jesus go to Matthew in his tax collector booth, follow me, and Peter with his fishing nets, come and follow me, and they do. The life of the people of God in his story in the Bible is so wild, is so active. Faith is such a living thing for them. And for us, (laughs) for me, (laughs) less so at times. We're heading into the school year, which I know what that means because I've lived it several times previous, and every day seems to be kind of the same. We wake up, get the kids ready, get them to school, I go to work, maybe you take care of the house, After work, it's shuttling around to all the extracurriculars, so many extracurriculars after school kind of stuff. It's dinner, it's bedtime, it's reading a book or watching Netflix until my bedtime. Repeat. Every day, repeat. Every day starts to feel a lot like the next day. And we're going, I thought the life of following Jesus was supposed to be wild, was supposed to be living, was supposed to be active, was supposed to be exciting. The life that I'm living is boring and monotonous and rote. Exactly. If you have this sense like may, maybe this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. I, I want to kind of affirm some of that and say so I think that you're onto something there. Don't don't let that angst go necessarily. Like, like you're stumbling onto something. Your life wasn't an accident. God didn't make you and allow this life for you on accident. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And throughout these next four weeks we're going to study the, the life and the ministry of Elisha and start to understand a little bit more about the life and the ministry that God has on purpose for you and for me. So we're going to go there. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We're a phone-friendly church, so you can follow along on your favorite Bible app. Uh, Also, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Just a little setup, though, before we jump into our story. We're going to follow the Old Testament prophet Elisha The name sounds extremely like the guy who preceded him, Elijah. And I just want to say, these were two separate people. This isn't like a typo that we're going to see on this screen. Uh, Two probably of the most major prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And they're not even even like directly related to one another. They're not like twins or something. You know when parents do the thing where they name the kids like one, one letter apart. And it's adorable for the family. Very confusing for everybody else who's a part of that. That's, that's not the case at all. They're two totally separate people. Elijah came first and he, he was known as somebody who went toe to toe with like this wicked king Ahab, right? He wouldn't let the guy off the hook and they just sparred all the time. Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they just were at each other's all the time fighting. Elijah on behalf of God. And then a time comes where it's time to appoint his successor and, and that's gonna turn out to be Elisha. And what I love about Elisha is he's not... He's not like the hero guy when we meet him, like Elijah. You know, Elisha isn't found in, like, one of the, one of the great prophet schools. Or he's not some huge, you know, big-time religious or, or spiritual leader, some kind of guru. He's none of those things. We're going to drop in on this guy, Elisha, and he's living kind of a rote life. We drop in on Elisha, and he's, he's, working for, he's working on his dad's farm, and he's living with his parents. This is Elisha. And I, there is so much to relate to, <laughs> with this guy in 1 Kings chapter 19 and we're going to kick it off in verse 19 and this is what it says. So Elisha went on, Elijah, see I just did the thing that I said we weren't going to do. So Elijah went on from there and he found Elisha, no relation, son of Shaphat, that's how to pronounce that. He was plowing with 12 yoke and oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. It's a pretty innocuous statement. I mean he's got 12 yoke, Plowing the field. And he's in the he's in the last group. Plowing the field. Just like he did yesterday. Just like he did the day before that. Just like the day before that. Just like the day before that. Just like the day before that. I mean, this guy works on his farm. He works on his dad's farm. This is a life that he has lived a thousand times previous. I mean. Every day, he's waking up, and it's just repeat from the day before. We're talking about how our lives sometimes start to feel a little rote, a little monotonous. We drop in on Elisha, and he is plowing the same field that his dad plowed, that his granddad plowed, that his great-granddad probably plowed. I mean, just every day on repeat. Oh, and the views, right? Right? The, the views are something to take in. In the Middle East, I mean, there's like mountains maybe and some, some, some grass, probably not. It's very deserty around that area. I mean, no, the views are nothing to take in. This little book, Greater, kind of points this one out, and I never thought about it like this before, but he's driving a pair of oxen. He's driving the last pair, and so what he has the privilege of looking at day in and day out, ladies and gentlemen, the view that he gets to have it's cow butt. just all. Day. I don't know if I'm allowed. It's cow rear all day long. Just that's it, the 12th pair. And just ahead of that is just more cow rear. Just way up on ahead. And that's, and that's what he gets to look at all the time. Now, i got to be a little bit careful here because my extended family happens to work in the dairy field and they may or may not be in the room this morning. So when some people look at this, I admit, some people look at this and they see progress. They see, they see money. They see accomplishment. The rest of us look at this and they're like rear all day long. I also had the the privilege of growing up in Hudsonville, going to school out that direction. And if you've been around in the in the salad bowl, is like what we like to call it. It has a it has an aroma. When it doesn't smell like this thing, it smells like onions. So you get one just pungent aroma after the other, and it just it has. You could probably smell it right now if you've driven through, right? It has. A life of its own every day looking at rears all day long. I don't know if we've got farmers that live the same day. maybe you'll share this one with with one or two farmers along the way, but some of us who live the the rote lives, the routine lives we can we kind of get it right? I mean you don't have to literally be looking at. At cow rear all day, every day, to empathize a little bit with what Elisha is going through. I talk to people who work in sales, and they're like, I know what the year has in store for me. I have a quota to hit. You know, this is where I'd like to be by the end of the year. And then I, get to break that up into quarters and that up into months and that up into weeks and then I think about what I have to accomplish today and I figure if I have like a .01% return rate on each phone call that I make, I know just exactly how many phone calls I have to make today and my job day in and day out is to pick up the phone and keep on making calls and I just I know that I have, I've got to make a thousand calls today in order by the year end or by the quarter end to hit my goal and then I get to ask what happens when you hit your goal? And he's like, then I just move on to the next goal. Like, nothing happens when I hit the goal. Like, I did it. I, I pick up the plow, and I move through another field. Every year, every quarter, every month, every week, every day is the same. Some of you guys in school right now kind of get that. Every semester. Just plow my way through a textbook. Plow my way through a class. I do my homework. I study for tests. I write my papers. I finish the course. I enroll for the next one. And I'm just trying to make it through. But it's the tedious. It's the monotony. It's the routine. Parents. New parents. Oh my goodness. The the. 3,000 pack of Pampers that you're like, I am never going to go through this many diapers, am I? And a few months in, you're like re-upping another 3,000 of them. It's like, I can identify with the, with the cow rear, only mine is like human rear, right? Oh, and the smell, remarkably similar. It's all day, every day, just... You put the food in the one end, you clean up what comes out the other end, and you just repeat all day, every day, only at least farmers get to sleep a few hours a night. Parents, you just you get woken up in the middle of the night, right, just to do it all day and all night. It's cow rear, constantly, on repeat. But listen to me, when you're tempted to give up, I know that it's easy It is so remarkably easy to lose your passion for following after Jesus when you're looking at your literal or metaphorical career all day, every day. And life just seems like you're stuck in a loop, and it's just on repeat all the time. But listen to me, listen to me. We're going to see God break in. But as we see God break in, we have to realize that God honors the small things. God honors those small, faithful movements. I think God was watching as Elisha was turning the corner for the 10,000th of time. And God was smiling as Elisha was faithful with the small thing. I think God is, is smiling when you open the textbook or sit at your computer to write one more paper. He's smiling when you change one more diaper and when you feed your kid one more meal. He honors the small things. And I think he loves to reward those small acts of faithfulness. And we get to see God reward those small acts of faithfulness. Verse 19b, as we continue on, Elijah went up to him, went up to Elisha, and he threw his cloak around him. His cloak. like his signature look he's got a like an animal skin or or like a fur or something the the idea for Elijah was you know they didn't have a lot of pictures they didn't have a lot of social media uh, so people didn't know like who Elijah was necessarily when he when he came to town but they would know the look you guys kind of know the look some of you remember Steve Jobs he like runs a you know ran a like a trillion dollar company and he shows up on screen pitching like a billion dollar product and he's got a, a, a black turtleneck on with dad jeans and like new balance shoes and you're like is he going to launch a billion dollar product or is he going to like be my friend's dad cutting the grass i don't know you know you, you got no idea. but it was like that signature look that people look with those little, little weird like like round glasses rimless glasses and he's like that is the Steve Jobs look. Uh, Farrell, you know the musician, I'm trying to loop everybody in here, with the big hat, it's his look. Jeans and a t-shirt, this is is my look. You look on the media player on the website and it's just Dirk and jeans and a t-shirt like all through on every one of these messages. I try to vary it. I have four shirts, so we just do A, B, C, and D and just do on repeat, right? I should not have told you that. I'm going to get called out on that a little bit later. Look it up in the morning. Which one am I going to It's his signature look. And he comes up and he takes his cloak. He takes his signature look, Elijah. And he throws it around Elisha and he's saying, I think that you can do what I've been doing. He breaks into Elisha's life at the most routine rote moment and say, I think the way that God has been using me is how God is just about now going to be using you. This is, a, this is a powerful act. And for Elisha, I want to land this on the, on the group here. I think we're going to see three observations come out of this one. Uh, three ways that the story of Elisha is not just a story about Elisha, but it's the story of all of us. The first thing that we realize here is that as he gets, as he gets handpicked, first thing that we realize is who you are is so much greater than what you do. There's a do component onto this, Right? Elisha has things that God has in store for him to do. But but before all of that, who you are. He breaks in on Elisha and he's like, you, you are faithful with the small things. You have been in development behind that cow for years and years and years. I know you. I trust you. I have things in store for you today. But who you are is so much greater than what you do. I think There's a few of us who probably need to pick that lesson up today. Who you are. Before God ever does a powerful work through you, he's going to do a powerful work in you. Who you are is so much more important than what you do. Remember, he's not picked up from a prophet school. He's not picked up because of his his great ministry that he's led so far. He's picked up because he's the type of person who's... Who's faithful? May we be found faithful. Who you are is greater than what you do. Next one is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. We do this thing sometimes when, especially when the answer is obvious, like uh, trying to stay away from some kind of temptation, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, I I should probably not. And like, I'll pray on it. And it's like, come on, you're going to pray on it, really? Like, we don't need to pray on everything. Some things that God just made absolutely clear, right? Somebody asks you to do something, you don't want to do it, you don't have a reason not to do it, and you're like, well, I'm just going to lie and say that I, you know, I've got other commitments. And it's like, well, let me pray on it. And you're like, you don't have to pray on it. Just tell them that you don't want to do that. Anyway, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. In the next line, we're we're moving right on through the story. We're not skipping any here. This is too good. Verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah, he goes, hey, let, me, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Remember, I'm living in my parents' basement. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. And Elijah, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? It's, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. What have I done to you? He's like, well, I know what I did to you. I put my symbol, my animal skin, like my cloak, my signature look, I put it around you. Like you're in charge now. You know, you're like the next guy. You don't need my permission if you want to go back and like say goodbye to your mom and dad before you leave. It's up to you. What have I done to you? You're in charge now. And Elisha, for his credit, Elisha, he does. He just moves, right? Like you don't need to understand every last thing in order to obey immediately. He gets this. Very real, very literal call of God saying, you're me, you're the next me, you're the successor, you're the next prophet to Israel. And he doesn't need to weigh it out. He doesn't need to make a pros and cons list. He doesn't need to pray on it for a little bit. God just told him what he expects him to do next. And so he just says, I mean, there's a couple people I got to say goodbye. But obedience is immediate. You know, there's a million questions, like a literal million questions that Elisha could have asked. And maybe even should have asked if we're honest. There's some hey uh, Elijah, what's the what's the vision, mission, and strategy of our ministry, right? He doesn't ask these things. He doesn't get answers to anything. Uh, Elijah, you know uh, what metrics are we going to use in order to gauge success in this ministry that you're calling us into? He's like, nope, <laughs> don't get to ask that one. Um, quick question about some of the resources, financial and otherwise, that we have at our disposal to accomplish this mission. Oh no no no, you don't get any of that. Why? Because you don't need to understand everything in order to obey immediately. And it's so hard to recognize that sometimes God is intentionally vague with the details because he knows if you knew how far it was, you'd never jump. If you knew how hard it was going to be, You'd never leave. If you knew how difficult the terrain was ahead, you would never step foot out and start the journey. And man, Elisha, he had a difficult terrain ahead. Church, as you follow this wild life of faith, you have a difficult journey ahead and if it feels like god is a little coy with some of the details along the way i think he probably knows something and i don't do that to scare you off i just do that to know that you are in good hands as you set off on this journey sometimes sometimes god is only going to give you like so little sometimes it's a single word like that's why we do that that event at the beginning of the year one word it's just that what's the one what's one word that god is whispering into your ear, that the Holy Spirit is whispering into your heart. God has this history of giving this one word. He comes up to Abraham, go. So many questions that follow, but you don't get answers. He just says, go. To Peter with his nets. (laughs) You're working for your dad's business. You have a life ahead of you. That's the life that you plan, not following after this rabbi. rabbi, And Jesus looks at him and he just says, Peter, come. And I just wonder if, if in these next few moments, the spirit of God, the living and active wild spirit of God is going to whisper into your heart just one word, what might it be? I think that somebody is going through some relationship struggle right now and the word that God is whispering in, when every Fiber of your being wants to just get out and be done, but you took a vow, you took a pledge. And so the Spirit is whispering into your heart stay. Somebody that did not want to be in this medical situation, not again, not with this diagnosis, not now, and the road that slowly. Unfolding in front of you, and you only get like a few steps ahead at the time. And the word that the Spirit of God is whispering into your heart is trust. Trust the process, trust your team, trust your resource, your family, trust those around, trust Jesus in front of you to guide the way. He's got one word for you. What's it going to be? Some wandering through, bouncing from place to place. Bouncing from church to church. I get it. I know the church shopping thing. I haven't looked for church in a long time, but I talk to people that do. And I just wonder if the word that he is going to whisper into your life today is commit. You've got an idea, you've got a dream, you've always wanted to step out, you've always wanted to begin something of your very own for the very first time. And the word that he's whispering I don't know how I'm gonna pay for it, I don't know what the strategy that I'm going to use. I have so many unanswered questions, and the Spirit of God is just whispering and he's going, Start, start, get it moving. Some of you heard the message from last week and we talked about like this biblical, this this God kind of idea about how men and women ought to look at each other, how men and women ought to treat each other and the word that was put on that from 1 Peter, he described it as, as respect and some of you are going, my boyfriend doesn't do that at all, like I'm not looked at with respect and the spirit of God is whispering this word into your heart, break up with that bum. It might be five words, depending on your context. I don't know. One word, it isn't like a Jesus biblical thing. I don't know. What's he whispering to you? You don't need to understand everything in order to obey immediately. I think of encounter church. You guys, my wife and I, when we started this thing in our living room so many years ago, I was... I was 20, 25, maybe edging on 26, something like that. I mean, I just could fill the room with all the things I didn't know. You know, and if God would have have highlighted, like, dude, you don't know the first thing about people management, about strategy, about vision. Everything that you have to learn about commercial real estate and occupancy ratings and, like, all of this random stuff, financial management there is so much that you don't know I think if God would have revealed the whole road to us ahead of time there was no way we would have stepped out and said okay but at the time like honestly at the time we're just like you know what I would love for there to be a church where I could invite my unchurched friends and it wouldn't be weird that's all it was and God says yeah let's start there and let's, let's surround you with some other people who know a lot about those other things and we'll like fill in the room with some more people you don't need to understand everything in order to obey immediately. The next one he's got for us is those that God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. Listen to how loosely Elisha holds on to what he has. Verse 21, continuing on, not skipping. So Elisha left him, left Elijah. He went back. He took his yoke of oxen. And instead of saying goodbye to his mom and dad, He ups the ante significantly. He goes back. He slaughters his oxen and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. He goes back and probably in addition to kissing his mom and dad goodbye, he goes back and he kills the cows and he burns the plows. And you're going, that feels a little excessive. I mean, the cows thing, we can we we kind of understand. It, it kind of seems biblical. There's like a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament. That sort of makes sense to me, right? Uh, kill the cows. There's a lot of meat on a cow. There's 12 yoke of oxen, small side point, 12 pear. That's a lot of meat. I used to work in a butcher shop, and sometimes people would order a side of beef, which is like a half a cow, And several of us would spend most of the day trying to cut that thing up and package it. And he's got 12 pair of oxen. It's not like, oh, we have something to eat for dinner tonight. 12 oxen. 12 pair, I should say. No, no, no. This this is a feast. This is a celebration. The smoke goes up from this thing, and people come, not just from that village, but as word spreads, probably to all the villages around, like everybody gathers, and what do they cook it over? He kills the cows and he also burns the plows. I don't even know what to do with this. I'm supposed to talk about it on stage to you guys like this doesn't make any sense to me. The cow thing, sure. The plow? Those of you parents trying to give your kids a little advice on the way, if they came up to you and they're like, hey, it's time to kill the cows and burn the plows. You're like... Maybe we roll that one back just a little. Like, like, just bring it down, you know. You're at like an 11 right now. I need you to be at like a six, but I love that enthusiasm. I don't know what to do with it. I tell you what I don't want to be. You know, I, I, I don't want to be in the room when Mary cracks the neck of the perfume jar, pours it all over the feet of Jesus. I don't want to be in the room, I don't want to be the Judas in the room who says, you know, we could have done so many better things with that. Perfume, the plows, this is an extravagant act of devotion. I think it's a sign of how loosely Elisha was holding on to the past. He's got 12 yoke of oxen, he's doing okay. Financially, they're in an okay place in those times. And he's ready. As a personal expression of his piety, he is ready to dedicate everything that he has and all of the resources he has at his disposal to following after the call of God, the absurd call of God in his life. I am not asking you, nor do I expect you to get on the phone walking out of here and call your boss and be like I'm tired of looking at oxen rear all day long I'm not coming in tomorrow don't do that at least provide some context send, send a link to this message No, <laughs> this is his act of piety his act of extravagance and what it means to follow the absurd call in his life what I am saying though is that you've got one too He's asking for you to, to leave something. You know, yeah, we, we talk about this call of Elisha and also the absurd call of Jesus in all of our lives. Who you are is greater than what you do. You don't have to understand fully in order to obey immediately. We talk about this call of God in our lives, that God uses the most, are the ones that hold on to the least. Really, what this comes down to, church, is, is, a, is three things. Just simple words. He is calling you to be someone, first and foremost. You know, we always think about what he has for us to do and what he has for us to accomplish, what he has for us. No, no, no. He is asking you to be someone, to find yourself, to identify yourself in him and his grace. He's asking you to be someone. Then he is asking you to do something. And the third one is the one that we always mistake, holding on to the least. We always forget this one. He is, in fact, asking you to leave something behind. Be someone, do something, but to leave something. Like, you can't follow Jesus in this new life and drag with you the old life behind. Like, it doesn't work that way. Maybe one of the reasons why you don't experience like the the, the wild and the active and the living faith that God has for you is because you're still holding on to the dead things of before. And he's going, "We, we got things to do. We've got ways to grow you and stretch you and a ministry that's stretching out in front of you, but you gotta let that stuff go. You gotta leave that stuff behind. What has the call of Jesus prompted you to leave behind. After the message last week, we talked about some of the pictures that we look at, oftentimes on our devices. We can also add in there the just immense amount of time that we use on those devices, social media, this endless scroll that's going through. I heard a story of somebody in our community who said, You know what? This is admittedly before the message, but still, you know what? It's because of that sort of stuff. The temptation, not not just porn, not just the lust thing, but I'm talking about just the immense waste of time giving my life to watch somebody else live theirs instead of building one of my own. That's the reason I'm giving it up. I'm like, what? What are you giving up? Smartphone. I'm like, you are going to be an adult with a real job and you're going to have a dumb phone? He's like, yes. Yes. I am going to, it's got to be one of those drug dealer burner phones that you get at like the gas station because it's the only way, that like Verizon doesn't give out those anymore. You can't order, but I'm committed and I'm doing this thing because following after Jesus means that I'm leaving something behind. And if this is what I have to leave behind in order to live the wild, active life, living faith that he has for me, man, it's worth it. And I don't think that I'm going to miss it. I heard this story, not in our community, but somebody who was, who loves the summertime. You know, And he's active, and he's involved in his church, and he serves regularly with his whole family. He's like, this is great for nine months out of the year, for three months just checking out, because the lake is calling. And I got a boat, and I got some water, and we spend the weekends on the water, and that's what we do. And we sleep there, and we live there, and, and, and we just space out for three months out of the year. True story, his kid comes up to him. He's like nine, 10, 11 years old. His kid comes up to him. Daddy, Yeah? Why do we love Jesus and serve Jesus except in the summertime? That weekend, mom and dad put a for sale sign on their boat. It wasn't worth it. They didn't want to teach their kids that you can only follow Jesus most of the time, and that's acceptable. Following him means leaving something behind. What are you leaving behind? I think for someone, it's it's just time to grow up. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> I had a, I had a blanket. It was, uh, I called it my bunk knee. I was not creative as a child or as an adult for that matter, and I had a slight speech impediment, so that's kind of what I got. <laughs> and... uh I would take it with me, like, everywhere. Which I don't think was the problem. Like, looking back as an adult now, taking the blanket with me everywhere wasn't the issue. The, the issue was that I would leave it those places. <laughs> and then I would just, you know, I still remember, probably had it for longer than I should have, I still remember panicking when I realized I left it somewhere and, you know, dad or mom would have to go out on this, on this search to, to go find it. And, and I remember that they... Uh, that they made it into a little book for me and, and gifted it to me with some of the stories of the, the tales of the, of the Bunkney. And I thought it was awesome. And as an adult, I'm like, you just didn't want me to take it around anymore. I was going to take a book, and you knew that. It was clever. That's shrewd. It's good parenting. But there came to be a time when I had to leave it behind. I had to grow up. Some of you have something that you're holding on to and it's time to grow up. To step into the future that God has for you. It's time to become an adult and it's time to grow up. As we sing this last song, he loves us so much. He loves us enough not to leave us where we are. Just think about what it is that he's asking you to leave behind. Maybe it's some kind of sin that has got a hold of your heart for far too long. And he's saying, yeah, I'm asking you to be someone. I'm asking you to do something. But the thing that has held you up for this long... It's leaving something behind, leaving that thing behind. Maybe you kind of harbor some of these doubts. What if it's not true? What if he didn't raise from the dead? What if I am? What if I'm not what he says that I am? And to step into this wild, living, active kind of faith. He's asking to leave those doubts behind. Maybe it's a relationship boy, a girl, a friend who's pulling you more and more away from Jesus than you are pulling towards Jesus and he's saying it's time to cut the losses. Church. <laughs> Jesus is asking you to be someone. He is asking you to do something with the faith that he has gifted you. And I think the most important part, the most difficult part, He's asking you to leave something behind. Let's pray and ask him what that is. I invite you to all stand up. Fulton Heights, Church Online. Kenwood, let's all stand. Jesus, you do have something in store for us. And we recognize that we don't get it right. Not all the time, maybe even not most of the time. God, you're asking us to be someone. We confess all of the different ways that we don't see ourselves like you see us with infinite value, dignity, and worth. So Jesus, help us to view ourselves the way you see us, to step into that reality. God, maybe you're whispering a word in our hearts of something to do, something grand to start, stop, a way to commit, a way to begin anew. God, give us courage to do something, to follow after you, and to leave, to leave our old life behind, to leave death behind, to leave sin behind, to leave the grave behind, and to step into this glorious life that you have in store for us. May we always press on and look ahead at the reward that you have in store for us. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us exactly where we are and loving us enough not to leave us there. In your name, amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience. Join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at encounterchurch.org.